It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Thanks for stopping by, and welcome to Leafs Guy, Episode 16, Season 2. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Our guest today will be David Alter, now from the Nation Network. He's got a new job, so we'll hear about that and go through where the Leafs are after a 4-3 shootout win against the Ducks at Scotiabank Arena on Wednesday night. Schedule not exactly chock full of games, but we'll get there. Before we get going, let me pass this along to you and it involves this option four teams remain in the nfl playoffs and that means only four teams left for you to bet on a DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl counting out of the super bowl 56 new customers can get 56 to 1 odds at any team bet just five dollars and get 280 dollars in free bets if your team wins not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you get. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Now that's an offer. Here is the call to action. Ladies and gentlemen, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Get 56 to 1 odds at any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win $280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, let's get on to the hockey story. And it was another 3-1 lead that was dissipated. However, this time, the Leafs got by Anaheim at home with nobody there. 4-3 in a shootout. 3-1 is a theme that really goes back a couple of weeks now. On Saturday, they won 3-1 against the Islanders on the road. So that one held up. But there's a just a collection of 3-1 leads that did not work out for the Leafs. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And that's where we are with his schedule. It's all over the place. There's no rhythm with this team, but not a major concern. Let's hear our conversation now with David Alter from the Nation Network. First of all, we start off by congratulating him on his new gig, and he explains what exactly it is. Dave, uh, you know, welcome back. Uh, you're at the Nation Network now. Tell us what this is. What, what do we look forward to here? Yeah, so this is a company that's wholly owned by Playmaker Capital. You know, uh, Frank Cervelli, who you may remember from TSN, he left for one of their other subsidiaries, which is dailyfaceoff.com. And uh, so the Nation Network is just another one of those where they provide team coverage for all different NHL teams. They have a Jays Nation blog as well. So most of my stuff shows up on the Leafs Nation 
and um, and I'm really excited about it. They do a lot of really cool and creative content sharing ideas and the company's just grown big time that I saw an opportunity to join for the remainder of the season without interruption to anything that I could do. And I jumped right into it uh, head first. I'm really excited to be a part of it. And uh, the reception has been really positive thus far. Okay, so let's talk about, first of all, congratulations on the Thank gig. You. you sound very excited. I'm happy for you. I've known you for a number of years, and uh, you always land on your feet, which is a very positive thing in this world. Um, but will the Leafs land on their feet, I guess, is what I'm going to do a cheap segue there. Uh, they've moved the lines around, uh, and, you know, you can't judge anything on one game, and their schedule's been erratic, so I don't want to put too much analysis into this, but uh, just seem to be sloppy. The 3-1 lead has only worked for them. Uh, you know, they've only been able to hold it once. They've they've come back from losing it and, and got uh, extra points like they did on Wednesday night, the shootout win, but just not a really tight unit, is it? No, but you know what? I, I, I expected it to not go incredibly smoothly because this was a, a game to experiment with those kind of lines, right? Your first game home in several weeks, you have the advantage of the line change. And what we've noticed from Sheldon Keith in many situations in the past before shuffling up the lines is that he would do things to load up front lines, to, to go all defensive in other situations based on what the situation calls for. For example, you've seen William Nylander up with Austin Matthews and they'd have you know, three of the top four paid guys on the top line when there's a minute left in the period and the, the face-offs in the offensive zone or or whatever the case may be. So this was a weird game because there were, there wasn't much flow to it. Um, the, the stoppages didn't really come at the right times to kind of adapt. And uh, really, it was, it was power play number one, firing on all cylinders that really – took away the, the storyline of the shuffle of the lines because that in itself was enough to get the Leafs points. And so when I looked at things from an underlying analytical standpoint, you know, the top two lines still played pretty good in terms of expected goals and possession. Uh, the third line didn't have a great possession, but their expected goals was really high. It was quite the disparity there. So I think from a flexibility and being at home, I think it was all right. And I think they'll do it again uh, for the next game here, even though it is on the road, but um, certainly it's a nice home option for Sheldon Keith and something that the team could at least work towards getting comfortable with in the second half of the season. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when you're playing 82 games, you should have tried everything because you, you, you want to see how it works. Uh, this is another wrinkle. I, I like the creativity behind it. And, you know, quite frankly, it's uh, when you look at the lines, everybody likes to do first, second or third, but really it's a blend of, of all of that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And look, it's, it's a matter of splitting things up, but trying to be as defensively responsible at five on five, trying different things and, I think what this comes down to is what you saw Keith kind of do toward the end of last season too, which was uh, if you'll recall, the defensive pairs were pretty s solid, no changes because they were healthy all year. So they always had Riley Brody, Muzzin Hall, and they didn't experiment and they didn't change things around. And what happened when Muzzin got hurt and you had to change different guys and play different guys with different people is there was no cohesion, no chemistry. So I think what this allowed for the Leafs to do also is try having different players work with different people and see what works and what doesn't. You have 82 games to figure it out, and you sure as heck do not want to figure this out in the wrong way during the playoffs if for whatever reason you had to play Camp and Nylander together in a situation where they had never done before. So why not do it? Why not mix it around? 
This was a, a good opponent at home where you can experiment with the line changes first to try it and see if it works and if it doesn't and take your data points and adjust accordingly. I think it was prudent upon them to try it and, and perhaps they'll do some more with it. But I, I think um, it was an okay start for it. I don't think it was enough to say this doesn't work. Sure, there were some defensive lapses, but a lot of them came on transition teams, not necessarily at five on five in its purest essence. Well, it, you know, quite frankly, it, it was a, a bothersome game because uh, a lot of the Anaheim goals seemed to come out of nowhere. It's just, it's like, oh, they scored. And, and you know, I, I think that typifies what we've seen lately. Sometimes if you look at the game, you'll go, oh, I mean, how did that lead dissipate? It dissipated almost uh, automatically. I, I don't think there's a systematic problem. It's just they've run into some games here where things are happening. Yeah, so let's look at those, right? So. Yeah. Uh, Anaheim's first goal of the game, a real, real fluky one from the fourth line, right? Like it was yeah. one of those things where Pierre Engvall tries to clear it out of Jack Campbell's way. And it unfortunately goes off uh, Jason Spezza's skate and into the net. Then the Leafs score three all on the power play. And then if you'll recall, Anaheim's second goal came in a transitional situation. So they were in a five on four after scoring the third goal on a five on three. And the first power play unit stayed on to try and find that that goal to put the game away. That's what they were trying to do, right? They increase yeah. that lead. They don't do it. The second power play unit is not there for the transition for what happens. And so uh, the guys kind of get exposed and Silverberg beats Campbell coming out of the box. So that's the first one. And the other one is a weird high slot, uh, high blue line shot that goes off a deflection and in. So it's it's hard because when you look at some of these other situations, a lot of them were inexcusable, like defensive ga gas, something. In this situation, in an isolated isolated incident, I didn't see anything wrong with the way the type of goals were kind of getting scored on. So I, I like the way they played, regardless of some of those unlucky bounces, though. So so um, if you want to go back to what had been happening in previous games. Sure, like it, it it kind of adds to that frustration that it's on the surface of it, it's a 3-1 lead that disappeared, but it was totally not in the way that the other ones had on the road. And for that reason, I kind of look at it in a different situation. And uh, even though Jack Campbell was playing his first game in a week and then had another sub-900 save percentage game, couldn't really see much of what he could do on anything except for that second Anaheim goal. So, yeah, yeah you, you look at all those... And I, I try to look at things in isolated unless there's like a real pattern. And, and that one was really different than the other games. Yeah. I, I you know, I've, I've said before on this particular podcast that the, the Jack Campbell story is interesting. The numbers aren't what they once were, but I don't think you'd fault him for much. No. And um, look, I think it's important that he shows that he can bounce back and, and grab a win, right? Like it's, it's one of those things where I remember um, his former teammate, uh, Jonathan Quick, when people would bring up stats to quick about his goal saved above ex expectation or save percentage or anything like that quick immediately scoffs at it. he's like, did they win? Did, did, did I pick up the win? That's all that matters. And at that yeah. point he, he did pick up the win and he made some shootout saves that, you know, uh, I think he improved the two and one in the shootout. The Leafs only had three this season. Uh, they lost the first one. They won these last two and uh, Campbell was in that for all three and he's, starting to gain more confidence in the one-on-one -on -one situation. So when he's making big saves and he's 
doing things for the time when you need him to do. I think, I think that was a positive one for, for Campbell, at least going back in. And then now you can kind of look toward going to when the schedule gets more compressed and maybe starting looking at a 60, 40 split where you can kind of go into a little bit more of a tandem and, and build Morazic's confidence so that you have some depth and goal. Yeah. I mean, David, you know, quite frankly, what I like to do is uh, I think, I think we all do this. We look at things that mean something in the regular season. So you can get a hint of how that that would translate into a playoff situation. And I have to be honest here. If I go back to the middle of December, when you walk into those cancellations and what happened has happened since and, and what's on the agenda here with another situation where there's three games uh, in a period of time, I guess four nights, and then they go into an all-star break. Uh, and so really uh, from, from the middle of December until February 7th, what happens there is almost irrelevant to me because there's no rhythm. Uh, the schedule is all over the place. They had a big break. And so there's really nothing happening here. You can go, the storyline is, you know, the three, one, lead that they can't hold but i mean really it's because of the schedule uh it's just not relevant and the other reason it's not relevant is what lies ahead is a heavy schedule that's where you're going to find out yeah it's funny you mention that because i was just thinking about this the other day about how in the, over the last three seasons i think the lockout shortened all canadian division was probably in another way the more the most normal because there was no pause like they went straight from january to may like there really wasn't a break. There was maybe four or five days, but apart from that, there wasn't. Now we've, we've had COVID pauses in this season. We had the COVID pause two years ago that forced the remainder of the regular season to stop and a new season in the qualifying round. And then now there's going to be another little mini all-star pause before they kind of get going and tougher opponents that are coming up. That's going to be, that's going to be a bit of a, a challenge, uh, it, but everyone's going to go through it, right? Like it's one yeah. of those things where, they have that. And yeah, there are teams that are in the tops in terms of like the top three in each division. But look, Anaheim, even though they had fewer points, that was a second place team in that division. And they managed to pull it off. And it was at home. And and they're getting results. And and uh yeah, they're gonna have some tougher opponents in there. But I just think they're gonna have to just preserve themselves. Last night they played with only five D. And for much of that game and still managed to come out with a win. So uh, as everyone kind of gets healthy and Omicron starts to dial back a bit and they get to have some fans back in the building for those home games, some, not a lot to start, but yeah. some, maybe there'll be some vibe where they're starting to kind of get used to the way normal is right now. Because you remember back at that pause, it went from full guns a blazing to COVID to playing games in front of being at home. And, and I was there, it was really weird. Like it, it didn't yeah. have any feel. So yeah, it's weirder for the Canadian teams and that's no excuse necessarily, but it's just something they're going to have to deal with. And they're it's, I don't think it's a problem until it's really a problem for me. This team could finish fourth or fifth in the conference, not be a top five team in the league. To me, that doesn't really matter. Is it turns out it, it, they just need to ramp up at the right time so that they have playoff success, and that's not for a few months. Okay, so what can you tell us about the, the crowd situation? What what do you know at this point as to as to how they slowly open the doors? Well, February twenty first is when they're supposed to have at least a five hundred people allowed, so it won't be open to fans, but it'll probably be similar to that first game where they could have some people in the building that are guests like 
family members of players yeah. and whatnot. And at least at least there'll be that sort of ambiance. It won't it won't feel the same. It'll be weird, but it won't be until March that it will, things will kind of feel like they're back at ha- uh, half capacity. <clears throat> Excuse me, or like late late February, and then we'll have a half capacity. Half capacity will have some vibe, and then in March there will be the full capacity. So it's going to be a slow ramp up. But based on the way the Leafs played in front of an empty building, they got started playing in front of fans again. What what made it really difficult was the fact that they went from not playing for half a month to two games with no fans. That right. was the real jarring element. And then they're not up to speed. Or once they started getting on the road and getting a feel for what that was like and being in NHL mode, yeah, then they have to go and play another game without fans. But you saw a way different team than those first two games at home without fans. It felt more like NHL hockey. So so that, that wheel's in motion. The biggest threat to the Leafs right now is a long pause, not the all-star one, but something longer where the veterans can't get up to speed. And so provided Omicron is over and done with at some point soon, then they'll have 50% fans starting at February 21st. Between now and February 21st, they'll have like 500 people, but it won't really be like a real fan feel. Right. And then after February 21st, I believe it's mid-March, March 14th. Uh, don't quote me on it exactly. I can't remember. I wrote it down somewhere, but I just can't remember talking to you right now. Uh, that's when they're expected to have full capacity back. And then that will leave about a month and a half before the playoffs start. And March 14th, if that date is correct, is about a week before the NHL trade deadline. Right. So they'll have a real sense of where this team is and what they can do from, from that point on. I have to say, I mean, it's an obvious observation. It's the weirdest thing to uh, to watch a Leaf home game and then watch uh, certainly all the American, regardless of the sport, NFL, NBA. I do this when I when I cover the Raptors too. Is you know their home games, it's vacant. There's nobody there. Uh, I did a game uh, last night where they were in Chicago and people are basically welded together. The crowd is so good. Uh, and it's just it's odd. It, I mean, we all understand why, but but it is an odd look, isn't it? It's odd when you're there and you see it. And for most fans, they don't get that privilege like we do, right? So um, in 2020, I wasn't covering hockey in the field. And so I watched the bubble like everybody else. And based on what they did, where they they made it look like a made-for-TV event, it it was very different. And the camera angles were tight and such that, you know, I thought they did a pretty good job league-wise of controlling the sound. It wasn't perfect, but to me, the viewer, it looked as good as it could look. When I actually got a chance to see it in person and go to different buildings in 2021, that was really tough. That one was, was bizarre, odd. um, And one where, you know, I, I really felt like every building didn't know how to properly modulate the crowd reaction. And then now being back for those three games or so, it seems like it's not the same muscle memory for who that whoever is controlling the sound for that than there was during the year. And it's almost even more off now that I wonder if, if fans on TV can actually notice a difference. Like I'm actually curious, but I can see it in terms of when goals are scored. Sometimes players aren't reacting because they're not hearing the crowd react in the same way. And they're right. waiting and looking around to see if the, referee is pointing at the net or not to indicate good goals. So it's weird in that regard. And 
uh, as someone who covers and you kind of have to keep your eyes everywhere on the ice, sometimes you're not looking at the right spot because a lot of times the crowd could be your guide as to what's going on and, and, and to react or, you know, you don't have the players yelling shoot or something like that. So, so it's a bit of a, a different situation. So um, yeah, as to, to answer your question or to reaffirm your point, it's, it is weird. It's odd, but now having played these games and being up to full speed, having played a game, having played many games on the road and then only having a couple days before playing in front of that environment, it's way different than it was January 1st and January 5th when they hadn't played for a long time and they played in front of no fans. It really did feel like exhibition hockey at that point. I mean, it's, it's a tough thing to say because there's not much anybody can do about it, but, but it's, it's sort of an unfair playing field that way because some teams have a full crowd and some teams have nobody. This doesn't seem right, but nothing anybody can do about it. No, and look, uh, I mean, if you if you read Chris Johnston's uh, report in Toronto Star today, uh, when it comes to a trade stuff, the Canadian teams are at a disadvantage because what Justin Falk said the other day about how uh, he wasn't looking forward to coming to Canada. A lot of people feel that the restrictions in Canada are tougher such that they're not looking forward to coming here. And then it, it's kind of had to change the approach where do you necessarily want a rental who's not going to stay here? And, and give up major draft picks that it's going to be a challenge for some of these Canadian teams deciding, Hey, do you really want to be here when, when those are the situations right now? That's why I personally have a theory that a lot of Canadian players who or a lot of players who want to come to Canada, they're better off waiting until after March 14th before agreeing to waive their no trade to come to Canada to get a real sense of what, restrictions have been lifted because things can change. So, yeah. so like if Canada is going to be an option for you, wait until March 14th, don't do it right away. Because if you don't want to live under the, the tight scrutiny and where your kids have to go to school and whatnot, then, then do what you have to do at that point. But certainly, yeah, there is a disadvantage for Canadians because whether you agree or disagree with the politics, the reality is, and having been to the United States for that road trip where the Leafs were, it's a night and day difference. It really felt like it felt like the summer here. Let's put it that way. Like yeah, things okay. were things were not as restrictive. You still had to wear the mask. You still had to. You could go to the gym. You could do all that stuff. That's what it's like in the United States right now. Uh, you can go to the bars. You can do everything under certain limitations. Uh, yeah, they were checking for vaccine records in different cities, but other apart from that, it, it like. Here it's way different, and that that's going to be a, a challenge for players when deciding: do they want to wave to come to Canada, no matter how good the team is? Yeah, no, no. It's uh, and then so, but what you're saying is to wait till the very end to declare your or wave your no trade, and and you want to find out. I mean, this is something you have to deal with if you're going to come up by yourself or bring your family with you. Right. Uh, you know what happens when you cross the border? How accessible are you to the team? Because if we go back to last year. I mean, that was a full two weeks people had to wait. Now, that's not going to happen this year, but but there is right. a, a quarantine or I don't know what else to call it. There, there's some kind of a, a period there where you, you can't be around anybody. Uh, I don't think that's the case anymore. Because, oh, okay. Well, just get, given based on my travel experiences, I'm able yeah. to come and go and I, I'm not subject to quarantine rules. And this is where, I, if anything, I've become the 
how to travel between Canada and the United <laughs> uh, States expert as opposed to a leaf expert, even though I could be both, but I literally get people all the time being like, what can or can't I do? Because you're doing it. And I, I don't have a job that exempts me from, from any of the quarantine rules, even though I do frequently go across the border. I don't have that. But basically what happened was ever since August of last summer, you did not have to quarantine anymore uh, when coming back, uh, provided you provided a negative PCR test within 72 hours. You Sure, when you, cut a, you come across, you may be subject to random, random mandatory uh, PCR testing. That's happened to me in my last two trips coming back. Ever since they tightened restrictions with Omicron, as long as you're only visiting the United States and not coming from anywhere else, you can come back. You may be pulled for random testing, which I have been, but you are not required to quarantine unless that test comes back positive. Okay, so, so but the, can, test, the testing, are you paying for the testing? No, at the airport. So at the airport, if they randomly pull you, it's the government that's paying for the testing because they're the ones doing it. Right. Now you have to get your own test 72 hours before to present to come to Canada. And that could cost money or it yeah. may not cost money. Depends on where you look. And I've done this enough now where I know where to look to not pay, to keep costs down, to allow me to keep doing this. Okay. So that, that's a fascinating so thing. It's a fascinating thing. It's taken a lot of mental gymnastics, but like anything, once you've done all the heavy lifting, it becomes like autopilot, right? So like, for example, I knew I'm going to Detroit tomorrow. Well, sorry, today is Thursday. So I'm going to Detroit on Friday. Right. I'm actually visiting a friend of mine in Windsor the night before. So I'm going to stay there. But because my trip's only one day, I do not need a test to drive into the U.S. border. If I flew, I'd need a, a rapid antigen test. But because I'm driving, I do not need a test. That's still the rule. And then when I am there... I'll cover the morning skate, and at three o'clock, I'll I have a, I have a an appointment for what's called a uh, NAAT test, which is equally as admissible as a PCR test for coming back into Canada, but it turns around within an hour. Oh, okay. And so I'm able to use that and drive across the border. Still have to do arrive can and everything, yeah. But not subject to any testing because I'm coming back from the border. So I know we went. A long ways around what we were talking about with the Leafs, but no, it, does, it. It, it does apply to anyone coming back that that quarantining is not going to be an issue for any of the NHL players unless they test positive. Okay, well, that's good information. I, yes. I think people need to know that. So No, it's, it's not going to be like Nick Foligno quarantining yeah. for a week or even before that, um, when it was two weeks, they had... Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois quarantining for two weeks when he was acquired by the Jets. It's not going to be anything like that, provided okay. the rules stay the same. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, and all those podcast fans that we have out there uh, in the Hockey Podcast Network nation, time now to play Yes Guy, No Guy. Yes Guy, No Guy number one. The Leafs' lack of attention to detail is a cause for concern. Uh, I would say no guy right now, just because I do think that they are getting a little bit better in those regard. In, in, in that regard, I saw in the last two games, I saw a team that protected a lead on the road against a tough opponent, and uh, I also saw a team that um, that managed to 
get some unlucky bounces that that was the reason for the 3-1 letdown that time. But I thought they still played pretty good overall and carried possession and were still playing with a bit of a killer instinct in the last time. So for that reason, no guy right now. No guy. I agree with you. Yes guy, no guy number two. Jack Campbell is out of rhythm. I would say yes guy, but I don't think it's anything that is out of the ordinary. His rhythm was extraordinary. It was Vesna-like, so the bar was set pretty high. So I don't think it's it's uh, a catastrophic out of rhythm, but certainly the bar has been set very high that, yes, I would say yes guy for that. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. Yes guy here to it, and you'd like that he finds that rhythm going into the playoffs. If, he could, if you could go into the playoffs on that, that would right. be something. Okay, yes guy, no guy number three. Leafs line shuffling makes total sense. Yes guy, because of A, where they are in the season, B, how things were kind of falling apart before uh, and see through one sample size at home, it seemed to be a success. So for all those reasons, I I like it for now. And William Nylander had 20 minutes in that game and everyone was worried that being on the third line, he was going to be down to 15 minutes. So I I don't think it it, it limited his ability either. So I like it. Yeah. Yes guy for me too. That's what the regular season's all about. Yes, guy, no guy, number four. The Leafs will surprise you at the trade deadline. Yes, guy, but not because of a big splash. I think it's going to be because of some other creative move or something that they address that maybe between now and then they're not expected to. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, They had Freddie Anderson on LTI and had a whole bunch of space in that regard. Right now, the Leafs are fully healthy. They don't have that luxury. So I think what could happen between now and then is some other big cap long-term injury could could occur, and then they all of a sudden have this cap space and could do a lot more things and then load up for the playoffs, similar to what they've done in the past and similar to what the Stanley Cup champions have been able to do in the past. And for that reason, I think there's going to be a bit of a surprise. Yes, Kai. Yeah, I agree with that. Maybe for different reasons. You know, you hear that they're interested in, in acquiring somebody with terms. So I, I think most people were going down the rental road. And I, I just think that, you know, the, the one thing that you said there that I totally agree with, they'll come up with something that we haven't thought of. So I don't know what that is, but by the end of the trade deadline, you'll look back and go, oh, I didn't think of that. It's a good move. I think it's going to be one of those uh, injury things, maybe out of their hands or whatever the case may be. And who knows? Like if, if um, remember, they have this exemption with the taxi squad that's supposed to expire by all-star break. And if it doesn't, that gives them more flexibility. So there's that. They have Nick Ritchie's contract. That's half variable. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that can happen between now and then that alleviate some cap space. David, thanks very much for your time. Uh, Enjoy your new gig. And to everybody else, hope you enjoyed Episode 16 of Leaf Sky. Hope you come back next week for Episode 17.